0: The psalmist writes in Psalm 119, verses 49 through 56, these following words. Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in my suffering is this. Your promise preserves my life. The arrogant mock me unmercifully. But I do not turn from your law. I remember, Lord, your ancient laws and find comfort in them. Indignation grips me because of the wicked. Who have forsaken your law. Your decrees are the theme of my song wherever I lodge. In the night, Lord, I remember your name. That I may keep your law. This Has been my practice. I obey your precepts. The word of the psalmist reminds us um, that we as a people often, often are looking for comfort. Would you all agree? Life has a way, doesn't it? Of trying us. Life has a way of challenging our thinking. Life has a way sometimes of making us feel just a little uncomfortable. And in those moments, as people, we tend to seek comfort. We have comfort food. Amen. This time of the year presents some of my favorite comfort food. There's days that when the chilly and windy and cold Days come, we want to just sit in our house and we want to uh, we want to find comfort. But you and I both know the world presents way more challenging things than that, doesn't it? We're going to talk about that just a little bit this morning. I want us to think about King David in regard to this. Why would David know so much about Comfort. Why would David know so much about all these different things that God can offer us as people if we'll only uh, if we'll only try to find him? I mean, think for a minute, um, if you were to begin reading in the two books of Samuel in the Old Testament, we learn a lot about David, don't we? Uh, This week, I began a study with someone from the community. And I, I was talking about David just in kind of generality, because everybody knows the story of the little boy with the stones, right? And the slingshot. Everybody knows that story. And I got about five minutes into this story and I look up and the person I'm talking to, this young woman, she's looking at me and I said, do you know who David is? She said, no, I've never heard of you. So I said, all right, cool. So we went to the. To the story of little David. And I got to tell the story of little boy David. I've told that story in ages. I took for granted. That everybody in our culture knows the story of little boy David. Now, some of you are sitting and thinking, that's so sad. Yeah, you know, that story would have been part of a lot of our teachings in elementary school when we were kids. A lot of us would have read that story or read little, little stories about the Bible as we were being brought up. But for a lot of people, that's not reality anymore. But in this story of little boy David, who had the faith to take on the beasts to defeat them, and he goes on to to be sent by his father to visit his brothers as they fought for the army of God's people. And he gets there and we we know the story, don't we? God's. Army is, is caught in the trenches and they're and they're being ridiculed and made fun of by this giant named Goliath. And this little boy takes a look around and says, What are you guys scared of? He had faith that was bigger than the giant. And David wins the favor of God's people by his faith and his bravery. And then we know what that leads to, don't we? We know it leads to jealousy by the king. Can you imagine David's life as he sees what faith has brought? His best friend's father, who's the king, has hatred for him and seeks to kill him and to hurt him. And David sees all this going on in his spiritual life and in his spiritual walk. Can you imagine how these life experiences molded David's faith into adulthood? And then we know the story, don't we? In adulthood, David begins to live for something other than eternal faith, doesn't he? Eternal life. We know what happened as he looked from his balcony that day. Now, the young woman I was studying with, she didn't know about little boy David, but she knew about Bathsheba. Says a little something about the world we live in. Amen. David sinned. I want to give you just a little illustration. There's a minister by the name of Francis Chan, and he showed us this illustration and it helped me remember. And so I'm going to see if it helps you guys remember today. I want you to imagine this rope. And and this is a cheap rope because this was free. But I want you to imagine this rope just goes on and on and on forever. okay? and it represents eternal life. I mean, this rope has no end. It just goes on and on and on. And then I've marked a short piece of this rope. This represents our physical life. This is God's perspective. God's perspective is eternal. It goes on and on and on forever. Our perspective of life often fits into this very Short area. This is what we tend to live for, is this little piece of the rope. David shifted in his life from having faith and believing in all of eternity, and he began to live for this little piece of life. Does this make sense, church? You following me on this? Church, when we get stuck in this little piece, it changes the way we think. It changes the way we react. It changes the way we do everything. Turn for a minute, if you would, in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 6. 11 and 12. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life you were called to. When you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, church, we're to hold on to this. We're to hold on to eternity, not this. This is this. This is the focus of the world. Such a short period of time compared to eternity. David, David. Lived out this journey just like so many of us do. And on the balcony that day with Bathsheba, he wandered down the road of this world. Like so many do. Like so many of us have. We've all had our moment in this world, church, amen? We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've lost track of what's important. we begin to live in this. David finds hope in God's promise as he begins to recover. We're going to read a little bit about the hurt that can come from this. Point 2 this morning is what others think really can hurt, can't it? I mean, we we like to believe that what others think doesn't matter. But it does, doesn't it? To some degree, what others think tends to matter in our life. David's suffering seems to stem from the persecution of other people in this text. He's upset because of how he's being treated by others. Now, consider David's story again for a minute, right? What do you think it was like in David's life when the king set out to kill him? He had served that king with honor, with faith, with dignity. He would put his all into his life for that king and for God's people. He stepped out of the trench when no one else would. He served the king with valor and honor. How do you suppose it felt when the king came back with hatred and jealousy? So he's experiencing this persecution That a person sometimes experiences when they're faithful. Church, this happens a lot. If we live in this community and we begin to to really delve into that, that short little period of the world and life. What we'll find oftentimes is persecution for the faithful and it hurts. It's very, very hurtful. The Hebrew word here that that translates arrogance, it it has a kind of a special meaning. It's arrogance in this sense kind of directed towards someone who created their own laws. You follow what I'm saying? And here's why that was arrogant in this culture is what was the law of the land? It was the Jewish law. It was. God's law. Correct. We all agree on that at this point in time. So what would it really say if someone started creating their own law? I don't care what God said. Do you get much more arrogant than that? I mean, think about that for just a moment. Do I get much more arrogant if, if, if from the very beginning of my life I was taught God's law and I, and I just come up and say, I don't care, I'm going to make my own. Where are you putting yourself on the stair steps of life there? That's arrogance. And this is what the, the Hebrew meaning of that word that translates is now. So David is dealing with the arrogance and the persecution that is coming from those who think they're above the law and they're beyond the law. And he's dealing with a lot of that, knowing what he's been through in his life And knowing not just what that's doing to hurt him, but what it's doing to hurt those around him. And so it puts David in a position to have two very different emotional responses. The first one is this. The first response is of indignation and anger. Verses 52 and 53. Now you consider David's... uh, you know, his perspective on this, turn to 2 Samuel 12, 15 through 20. 2 Samuel 12, up in the front of your Bibles. And we're going to read together verses 15 through 20. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child that Uriah's wife had borne David and became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and spent the nights lying in the sackcloth on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground. But he refused and he would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's attendants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they thought, well, the child was still living. He wouldn't listen to us. When we spoke to him, how can we now tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves. And he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied. He's dead. Then David got up from the ground after he would washed and put on his lotions and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house and at his request, they served food and he ate. Why is David so passionate? Why is he so passionate that he's willing to get angry? He's willing to be indignant because he knows where this is going. He knows what the outcome is of this kind of behavior. And so, part of our appropriate response, church, to persecution is anger. Okay, part of the response is anger. It's okay to be angry. David demonstrates here indignation. Word means anger. But you can't have this response without the second response, and that's the response of love. Point four, the emotionality of anger must be transformed to an outward love response. David offers in this text of verses 54 through 56, four really good ways to respond to anger. One, he sings songs of praise that help him remember God's desire. Did you hear that point in our singing this morning where we got done with the song and everybody was just like, Numb. It was like, whoa, right? What is song capable of doing in our lives? Anybody ever been sad and just start singing? What does it do? Anybody ever, ever just start singing because you're so happy? Okay. now I've got a house full of, of singers. I've got a couple in my house that don't sing, but I've even caught the couple that don't sing singing. And Preston, you just sing right on. Just kidding. Number one, he sings songs of praise that help him remember God's desire. Second, is he does this everywhere he goes. Notice he says, "Wherever I lodge." Okay, singing's not something we just do in the shower. Singing's something that we always have a song about God on our heart, a mindful word. I do this everywhere I go. I don't lose track of it. This is how I get back on track. Third. And one of our brothers brought this up last week in, in the class I taught. And I think this is such an important point. He focuses his concern upon himself and his own actions. How many of you ever heard the term, you know, just worry about yourself? Would the world the world be a better place if you just worry about yourself? Just you do what's right. Don't worry about everybody else. Just you do what's right. Okay. Try to teach my my football players. You play your position and don't worry about playing everybody else's. Because when you start playing everybody else's, it creates huge problems. Brothers and sisters, what David insinuates in this text is that we need to spend some time just worrying about ourselves. not that we shouldn't be concerned with the needs of others, but we need to worry about our own actions. We need to worry about our own temples. We need to worry about what we're doing to ourselves within ourselves spiritually. Because it's only then, when our plank is gone, that we can help others with their splinters. You follow what I'm saying? And finally, David insinuates this in this text. He focuses on God and God alone. Funny story to illustrate this. And and goodness, I wish he was here today. Um, I'd actually have him come up and tell the story because he does it so much better. But when we were in El Salvador and we were doing mission work, we were in a medical campaign. Dr. Brandon Day was seeing patients. And I, I believe it may have been Debbie that was translating for him. And uh, he got to a point where he was going to prescribe some medication and the medication was going to be taken to this house. And and Brandon was trying to explain it. And he kept saying, Jesus is going to bring this to your home. Jesus is going to bring this to your home. And and each time Brandon said that her eyes got bigger and bigger and bigger because this Christian medical missionary was telling her Jesus was going to bring this to her home. And I know what she had to be saying. Man, i got to clean the house. <laughs> it's important that when we're talking about God, we're talking about God and God alone. And that we make that clear, church. We can't get mixed up with what the world has to offer and what God has to offer. Oh, man. This is difficult this morning, but I'm going to try this. I want to try to share the perspective of a young woman named Anna to close out this morning. Anna heard a man come through the door. Firing shots. She was a student at Umpqua Community College in Roseburg, Oregon. She was hit In the back, near her spinal cord, and instantly she was hit, knocked underneath the table where she laid, bleeding. Lassero Alcaraz, age 19. Quinn Glenn Cooper, age 18. Kim Saltmarsh-Dietz, age 59. Lucas Eibel, age 18. Jason Dale Johnson, age 33. Lawrence Levine, age 67, Serena Dawn Moore, age 44, Trevin Taylor Anspack, age 20, and Rebecca Ann Carnes, age 18, were also in the room as part of the class. Each of those young people lost their lives in Oregon this past week. Some of them frankly, were lined up, asked if they were Christians, and if they answered yes, they were executed. I want us to think for just a moment what their word yes meant. Because I think they may have understood something. I think they may have understood that you can't live life in this six inches of rope. You're going to be a Christian. You've got to understand God's perspective. You've got to understand that there's not a politician, there's not a law, and there's not a rule in the world that's going to protect your eternity. The first song we sang today is, don't you want to be ready? We need to be ready to say yes. Yes. Now, I don't know what that will look like for any of us. A few weeks ago, we were trying to make a decision whether to go to El Salvador in December. And I made the choice that we wouldn't go, that we wouldn't send missionaries because it's dangerous there right now. 937 murders just in the month of August. My 18-year-old son challenged me. He said, Dad, what kind of faith is that? And I said, it's smart faith, son. Smart faith. And he got angry. He got really angry at me. In fact, he told me it was hypocritical. He said, Dad, you made a commitment to those children and to those people. And he said, all they're going to measure by your action is your faith. And that's going to affect their faith. For a period of time, I kind of got caught up living in the six inches of this rope. I know what some of you are thinking, and I get it. I'm not putting you down. I'm just saying that all of us struggle a little bit with this short piece of rope. I don't know about y'all, but I want to start living for eternity. I want to know someday where the end of that rope goes. And I don't want to get caught up living for this. David reminds us the importance of finding comfort in God's Word. There's no greater comfort found than what is found in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. This morning, I want you to evaluate where you're at in that whole rope thing. I've given you an illustration that's easy. I know, looking at it, I I get emotional. I get it, and part of it is I'm a softie. The other part of it is, as I know deep down that I get caught up an awful lot in the short end of that rope, And sometimes I'm ashamed of that, and I need God to deliver me. If you need God's help this morning, then I want you to come while we stand and sing.